Shamrock Show episode five. We got my boy Mike here. What's up, man? Sean, good seeing you, brother. Thanks for all the love and support and the views so far, man. I, I never believed that I would get that many views on, on these videos, so it's really cool. And uh, got somebody really interesting here with me, my boy Mike Panis. I'm saying that right, yeah? Yeah, Mike Panis, you got it, brother. All right, man. I, uh, elementary school must have been a good time, huh? Oh, yeah, man. It definitely built built thick skin for <laughs> sure. For sure. Yeah, yeah, for sure, man. He was like, after about third grade, you're like, I'm becoming a marine, huh? I've heard it all. I've heard I'm p penis, anus. I've yeah. heard it all, man. Oh yeah, you got, you got it from both ends, yeah. literally. <laughs> <laughs> sure did, but yeah, no, sure. And uh, I just want to say thank you so much for letting me uh, come on this show. You know, uh, recently bumped into you, and uh, yeah, man, it's been a good connection. We know so many of the same people, and your story kind of intertwines with people I know, and, and, and we'll all get into that. But yeah. um, you know, I appreciate you because I know you're a busy guy right now. Um, I mean, Mike here has a book coming out, and you know, my first time to talk to somebody who's an author, which is is really cool, and looking forward to picking your brain, even just on, on that process. Never mind the content, but um, also you're a motivational speaker. I see you've been doing a lot of high schools and military bases and stuff. I see on, on Facebook, and uh, you know, how is that, man? How is like for me, just jumping in front of this camera at first was kind of nerve-wracking. How about just getting in front of a bunch of high school kids? Because I, I, I remember going to assemblies and kind of being a jerk. So how's that working out? Yeah, no, uh, Sean, I've always been a person that was never afraid of, um, you know, taking the mic or being on stage and um, presenting to audiences. Always the kid, when you always had to make a presentation in school, everyone's like, man, I ain't doing it. I ain't doing it. And I would always be the one. And, and I just was always outgoing and sociable and the events that have happened in my life have, have led me to where I am today. And of course, when I first started um, getting on stage, it was a little bit of excitement and nervousness, but um, now I've gained the confidence and you know what, if I, you know, miss up a word or, you know, stutter a little bit, it's uh, no big deal. You know, it's, it's only natural. So, right, right. You know, and uh when I was growing up, when you had to talk in front of the class or whatever, you know, there's a picture of the audience naked, but you're an adult in a high school. I guess you can't really do that, right? Yeah, no. <laughs> I just, Sean, the, the, the one time, we'll, we'll get into my story a little yeah, bit, yeah, but yeah. I just want to touch base on how I became so com comfortable and confident um, being a speaker was, uh, actually, we're going to get back to that. Remind me All after right. we get into it, because it's, just uh, let's just kind of go through the little bit of history of uh, my, my story and why I'm here today and why I decided to become a published author and um, get a powerful message out to the world. Yeah, for sure, man. So you're from, I grew up in, in Jewish City. You're from Plainfield, um, which kind of makes us rivals, you know what I mean? 100%. My, uh, some of my, my, my fondest high school memories, sorry, Mom, we're like loading up cars and we just go fight at the point of a bowling alley and playing field on Friday nights. Yeah. They're like football games or basketball games, dude. It was just, it was a mess. And I love all those, like, so many guys from Plainfield who I, who like, you know, at the time we used to go scrap with, you know, like yeah. Chris Savoy, Jay Cooper, and guys like that, man. They're like real good dudes who I'm friends with now, you yeah, know? Yeah, yeah. That's an amazing topic that you bring up because me coming from Plainfield, playing sports and, all my cousins are from Griswold, you know, the Davises. Yeah, so, so I was wondering when I read your book if that's who that was. Yeah. You didn't say the last name. Okay. Ashley yeah, Davis, yeah. Maddie Davis, yeah, yeah. Nick Davis, you know, yeah. all of them are my cousins. Right. So I was almost like a Wolverine, sort of, but I went to Plainfield. A lot of, you know, a lot yeah. of my family was from Griswold. So, yeah, the, the rivalry um, in high school was 
definitely huge. But after you graduate high school, you know, you kind of become adults and you respect one another. Right, right. So. It's, it's silly. It's yeah. su- it's super silly. But I'm, I just, well, you know, when, whenever I hear Plainfield, it imme- like anything from yeah. Plainfield, it immediately takes me back to oh, the yeah. 90s, like just all the wild nights and, you know, parties and, and, and whatnot. Absolutely. You know? Yep. Um, I, I remember those same days when I was in high school, yeah. uh, taking a ride up, up to Jewish City McDonald's and yeah. same type of thing. Right, right, for yeah. sure. Those, yeah. those were the spots, man. Yep. Um, so after high school, or not even like while you were still 17, you found you, you launched into the, the Marine Corps, yeah? Yeah. Um, I just want to b- um, back up a little yeah. bit for the people that don't know my complete story. You know, um, I grew up in Plainfield early on in my life. My biological mother um, was sick when she was pregnant with me, and um, you know they didn't really know what was wrong with her at the time, so they they brought her to the hospital. Right, and as from reading, you know, the clips from your book, you know, which I, I assumed a thought right away is like, oh, she's just pregnant, so she's sick, right? Yeah, that's, that's what they tired, thought. pregnant. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So yeah, that's pretty much. It was 1980, and uh, the doctors, you know, just chalked it up as her being sick while she was pregnant or tired, you know, nothing serious. So. Yeah. She got more sick, and then um, they took me out seven weeks early because um, she got brought to Yale New Haven Hospital, and they found out she had cancer at the age of 27. So I lost my mom 30 days after I was born. And growing up and becoming an adult and now me being a parent myself, I miss my biological mother every single day. You know, part of me, who I am genetically, is from a person that I never had the opportunity to meet. So it's uh, definitely shaped me into who I am today. Right, right. You know, I can, I can imagine that, you know, that feeling of kind of just where did you come from and, 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 you know, what was that person like and, you know, am I like this or do I do this because she did it or, you know, yeah, the, like, kind of, the kind of things that you, you would take for granted, right? I just, I'm like a sponge and just want to learn everything I can about my mother, you know. Um, I don't know if you know Jess, Jessica Brzezicki yeah. from Griswold. Yeah. Her mother is my godmother. So okay. my biological mom. She was a shout out to the school nurse in Griswold. Yeah, yeah. So Jackie Brzezicki was my um, godmother and my biological mom and her were best friends. Yeah. So I recently had an interview conversation with Jackie, Miss um, Brzezicki, as you would know her as yeah. a school nurse, yeah, yeah. to learn about my mom. And here I am, 38, 39 years old, just learning about who my biological mother was. Because my whole life I never really um, heard about who she was. So... It was just, just always wondering who she was as a person. Now, you know, and not to try to make it a tearjerker or anything, but but growing up, you're saying you're just kind of learning now. That you, you, you weren't given a lot of that information. No, it was just something that was never really discussed. My dad um, uh, ended up marrying my stepmom when I was about two years old. Right. You know, um, she had a, a a son from her previous marriage, mm-hmm. and she was actually from Griswold too. Um, her, her family was actually from Griswold. My dad actually ended up going to Griswold back in the day. So, uh, like I said, a lot of my family is all from Griswold. So my dad met my stepmom and she was a great mother. Um, I was the youngest of three. My sister is about a year and a half older than me and I had a regular life. You know, I played sports, I hunt, I fish, we went camping at Holtville. You know, we just had a regular life and, um, you know, in the environment that you grow up in, that is the only life that you really know. You know, you don't know anything different. So I I just thought I had a regular life, you know, and didn't, I wasn't told that my biological mom died until I was about second or third grade when my, my, um, my mother now adopted us. Right. So, and I I know you you touch on that scene in, in, in the book, but I can only imagine being that age and then hearing and getting news like that delivered, you know, 
um, that that's uh, that had to be an awakening for both you and, and your sister. Now, you have an older brother. Older brother right. and older sister, yeah. Right, but the older brother you mentioned he's, is, is, is my he's is my stepbrother. Step but, but but right, right, right. I consider him my brother. Of course, yeah. of course. Did he did he always know or? To be honest with you, I don't even know. It was something that really wasn't spoken about much. Yeah, yeah. Um, I guess I, as I grew up older and realized that he was not my real brother, but all I knew is our family dynamic was was a regular family. Right. I never looked at stepbrother, stepmom, this, that. I just had a great family from, you know, from the beginning. You know? Right, right. Yeah. You know, and I, I can personally relate to that. So my parents divorced when I was, like, two. You know, luckily my father and mother, you know, um, maintained a great relationship for yeah. you know which is great for me and my stepfather is great but i have you know brothers and sisters on both sides per se but they're just my brothers i'm not like also my half brother you yeah, know yeah. what i mean so i kind of have the opposite dynamic because my, my brother is 10 years younger than me and you said you know your, your brother's 10 years older yeah and i was kind of reading you know the dynamic you guys had man i'm like reading it i'm like man i, I hope that my brother looks at me yeah. that, that way you yeah. know what i mean that he kind of brought you along and you know yeah we always played sports together yeah yeah and uh yeah, just um, it, that was ha that was all I knew, right. you know. Um, I love I love my family, and they've been so supportive, um, you know, all the way up until today. So yeah. So so other than getting wedgies because of your last name, what drove you towards uh, the military? Just it was all I knew. To I seriously, I uh, I actually dated an older girl in uh, high school from Griswold, um, and I just was never really thought I was smart enough for college, to be honest with you. Uh, I just barely m made it through high school, played okay. sports, yeah. and all I knew, I was a fourth generation um, military person in my family. My dad yeah. was in the Marines, my grandfather was in World War II, my other great-grandfather was in the Korean War. Okay. So I just didn't think I was smart enough for college. I wasn't mature, and the Marines was all I knew. Yeah. Yeah, so I, I signed up when I was 17 years old, and I'm like, man, I'm gonna be a Marine. I went into the recruiting office. I didn't talk to any other branches of service. Yeah, the Marines was all I knew. So yeah, I, you know, I went through high school. You know, uh, barely made it through high school. I'm not kidding. Yeah. My parents called the guidance office on the day of graduation, saying we have family coming in from out of town. Is my son graduating today? <laughs> so literally, I was that close from, right. from not graduating high school. Right. right. Um, I just put all my focus and energy into going into the military, just waiting for that to happen. Yeah. Yeah. So. Yeah, after I graduated high school, I leave for boot camp. I still remember that morning. Uh, I was living on Tarbox Road, uh, Richie Davis's parents' old house. I think yeah. Richie Davis lives there today. Okay. And I remember that, that recruiting car pulling up uh, the drive. The drive. I still can remember it like it was it was yesterday. Yeah. And leaving for boot camp. Yeah, it's got to be a, an intense feeling, you know. Like, I moved away in 2004. I lived in California for a year, you know, and and it's. By choice, it's not that the military isn't by choice, but I could have come back at any time. But just yeah. when you're, at, I, I still remember being in the car on the ride to the airport. Like, man, you know, yeah. like I'm really leaving everything, and uh, you know, I, I guess doing that, but also knowing the chance you could go to war is like multiply that, right? Yeah, just the, th I talk about it in my book is a lot of the unknown. You know, um, what to expect, what's gonna happen. But I knew I trusted in in. The military that they would prepare me for anything that I needed to to be prepared for. Yeah. Um, my dad was a Marine. If he did it, I can do it. You know, that was kind of the motivating factor to me. Um, my dad went through at a very difficult time during Vietnam. Yeah. And when I went in, it was definitely not as difficult as it was during Vietnam time. Yeah, for so sure. uh, I was I was mentally 
prepared because I knew that I had what it took because if I could follow my dad's footsteps, I, I, I would do just fine. You were you were in um, the Marines, though, at the time of 9-11, yeah? Yeah, I was. I served um, down in New Orleans, Louisiana. I yeah. got stationed at a base down there, and, um, you know, I, I remember sitting at my desk, and uh, we had this lieutenant colonel um, come into our office, and he's like, oh, did you hear that uh, a plane crashed in the World Trade Center? And we all just thought it was like some – some dude farmer crop dust and plane that got lost off track and you know bumped into the twin towers none of us knew what was happening but about a half hour later i checked out all my war gear my flak jacket and uh, my m16 and uh shock yeah we were we were like doing 24 7 security patrol because no one knew what was happening next you know Um, this country was under attack and the base where i was stationed at is at the mouth of the Mississippi River, which is one of the biggest ports in the world. Yeah. Millions of millions of dollars are being transported goods all the way up to Canada. Right. So we had no idea what was going to happen. Yeah, at that time, I was working at Foxwoods. It was, like, uh, one of my first jobs out of high school. I'd had a few jobs that, like, last, like, a couple of weeks or a couple months. You know, I was 18, dude. I was yeah. super wild, dude. And I took this job at Foxwoods in security. And uh, when that happened, dude, so like, we had to, like – like all the valet cars, all the cars going to the parking garage. They were making us check trunks. They had like these little mirror joints yeah. under the cars because yeah. they thought that you know, you know, I forget what the number is. Like hundred thousand people there on a Saturday night or something. Yeah. You know, I thought that that could also. Target, yeah. I mean, everyone was just in a, in a state of, of of panic for sure. Absolutely. Man. So I can only imagine actually being in the military versus my little green coat security back in the day. Yeah. You know, it was. I, I definitely remember we had an, inc- an, an incident happen right on the railroad tracks um, when I was doing, you know, security right after 9-11. And uh, I was literally, you know, thinking that there was a possible terrorist, you know, right outside the base. So right. you definitely are trained um, to do whatever you need to to take care of that situation. But, yeah, it was it was a nerve wracking, but um, when you're given the confidence as a Marine, you you handle whatever it is that and you And you, you had to enlist twice due to injuries, right? I Man, did. I don't want to give the whole book away, let people read it, but you know, you've that's how committed you were to it. You went you went in, you got banged up, came back, right? Yeah, I uh, played football my senior year, dislocated my uh, shoulder rotator cuff surgery, and I thought I was disqualified from the Marines for yeah. good. And luckily I had a great doctor, did surgery on my shoulder and did the physical therapy. So yeah, but, I went from being already enlisted at 17 years old, ready to go to boot camp, playing football my senior year of high school, get injured, and then getting disqualified from the Marine Corps and then having to get approved again. So, right. yeah, it's just I worked towards everything that um, I I wanted to get to in life. Right, and that's, and that's a great mind state to have. You know, it really is, um, you know, mind over matter. Like, um, you'll hear of, like, some athletes that have that, and, you know, be like, oh, I heard this guy – came back from ACL in six months, I'm gonna come back from ACL in four months, you know? Yeah. And then they really, you know, the, the, the mind and the body have an interesting connection. I, I believe that, you know, when you really focus on something, and it's just good to, to give yourself goals, man. You know what I mean? Like, you can't just cruise through life just taking whatever happens, you know? I mean, to an extent that works, but when you put yourself at something, man, and, and you really, really go for it, it it's such a, it's a payback and a reward, yeah. you know? Sean, it's, it's fun, funny that you mentioned that. Just yesterday I was having a conversation with someone, and um, they asked me, do you think everything in life happens for a reason? Mm-hmm. And that's a very complex – it's a very complex statement, you know, or a question. Mm-hmm. If you – everyone has a choice to make whether something that happens to you 
you can either turn around or into a positive thing right. or you can sit there and dwell on it and be like poor me right. and I believe your your mind is the strongest gift that you've been given right. no matter what happens to you at any time of the day you're able to process it and move forward so that that's saying you know do you think everything happens for a, re- a reason I think it has to do with your mind and how you handle things and move forward. Right. I mean, we all know people who have had like really horrible things happen to them, you know, and we'll get to one coming up. Yeah. But how many people you know that use that as a crutch versus as a springboard? And you can see both ways. You look at somebody and be like, oh, well, they had this, that, and that happened to them, and that's why they like this, you yeah. know? And, and it's almost understandable, you know what I mean? But at the same time, you see a person who had this, that, and the other happened to them, and they're just killing the game. So, yeah. you know, it, it's really... You get you get you, you like poker. You, you don't you don't play the cards. You play the person. You know. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it's the same the same kind of thing with life. And you know, it's it's easier said than done. But I, I like to think that um, you know we have more control than people like to believe. You know. Yeah. Anyone can make excuses and say, you know what? Um, my mom died when I was born, or my dad died when I was born. I didn't really have a parent figure. I didn't really have a role model. Um, everyone can use those excuses to not make the best of your life right. you know and me all i know everyone's like oh my god what you're doing is i'm like no like this is all i know my little saying that i say is life is what you make life is what you make it right no matter what if you're if you're given lemons i'm making damn lemonade out of those lemons yeah you know it, it may sound like a cliche saying but it's true i'm making lemonade out of those lemons for sure and uh yeah um overall how was your experience with the military if you had you know, if, or if your daughter wanted to get into the military, would, would, was that something you'd recommend for her? Fourth generation military. Um, I love the military. It yeah. is amazing. Um, however, sometimes I I don't really agree with everything that the United States is getting involved in. I don't want to get big into politics or anything right, like that. Right. But you know what? Keep this country safe. Right. Keep this country safe. Do everything you can to, to keep the people in the United States safe. And homeland security is huge. Right. You know why? I think that's a feeling that a lot of people have. So I'm not a political, like, a, I'm not big into politics. You know what I mean? I just kind of see things like, well, this makes sense. This doesn't make sense. Yeah. But I, the general consensus, man, I think that people really do feel like, you know, we stick our nose in, in, in way more stuff than we need to when we could be focusing it inward. You know what just, I mean? Just like a simple example. I saw the, the, the movie um, American Sniper um, with yeah. Chris Kyle. Yeah, I still haven't seen it. Like, everyone says it's a great movie. I still haven't seen it. I think Bradley Cooper was yep. the um, actor in yeah. it. And I saw that movie in the movie theaters. And after I watched that movie, mm-hmm. I immediately left that movie and I was like, damn, I don't even know if I would ever support my own daughter to go into the military today. Because just I'll just share something real quick. Yeah. Obviously, me being a former Marine and fourth generation military, um, my first, like I just said, is to keep this country safe. Right. You know, we're sending soldiers overseas to Afghanistan and Iraq to to hunt out terrorists, you know. Right. And those terrorists, we capture or kill those terrorists. There's five, there's 10, there's 20 more waiting in line to take right, over right, that. Right. It's, it's a religion that is against the United States. And that's going to go on far after you and I are here right. in many, many years ahead. So it's like soldiers are being killed to be sent over there to try to stop this war on terror, but it's gonna it's something that's gonna go on forever. Right, right. It's like the war on drugs, you know. It's what gonna I mean? go you're on just, forever. You're just kind of you know, you're fighting a snake that has a million heads. You exactly. Know? It's just 
if, if you focus more on just keeping the country Keep safe people. as opposed to going into other people's, and especially when so many of it is because they're killing other, you know, like at some point, yeah, you don't want to just sit back if you have the ability to stop other countries from getting killed or invaded or whatever. But at some another point, you have to be like, well, is this my problem? You know exactly. what I mean? Like at the bar, in the bar, if there's a fight, yeah, and we break it up. And in the night, these guys want to fight in the parking lot. Yeah, not my problem. Yeah, you know exactly. what I mean? Like I just, yeah. I can't send you guys. Kept everyone safe right, at the bar. Right. That's it. You know, and that's that's my country. You know exactly. what I mean? These guys leave and want to go fight out in the parking lot. You know, I'm not sending my bouncers out there to go get stabbed in the parking lot yeah. or just get jumped or for anything to happen, man. Where it's just, it's the same on a minuscule, minuscule scale. I'm not comparing yeah. myself to the president, but hey, you know, yeah. uh, it, it's you can't. You, you start with home, man. You know yeah. I, that's that's what I think. I think it's just interesting to hear yeah. your perspective on it and, and your hesitation when I ask you that question. You yeah, know? it's uh, that's a completely how I feel. You know, um, keep this country safe and keep the people that don't need to be here out of this country. Right, right. Yeah. Um, so, so yeah, the the Marines. I love the Marines. Right. I, I met some amazing people in the Marines. It gave me the confidence and um, you know to go to college, which I never thought I was even smart enough to do. So it gave me. Uh, many things in life to make me the man who I am today. It definitely, you know, it's something that I love doing. And the biggest thing is I, I met some amazing people in the Marines that right. I'm still great friends with today. Yeah, it's pretty awesome. Yeah, I'm sure. I mean, it, it's a bonding experience. You it's, know? A bro- yeah. it's a brotherhood. And people who go through, you know, the, again, my friend Sean, who I, who I talked, was mentioned in a story off camera, who was um, cousin of the Bronsons. He was a Marine. I remember him telling me, you know, he went to boot camp and, you know, into, or whatever, and there was like X amount of people that went, and he was one of like yeah. that that went through. So I'm yeah. sure when you go through something like that, you know, it's 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 a tightening experience for yeah. sure. Yeah. yeah, absolutely. I mean, you're trusted with these people for your life. Right. You know, these people. I remember a buddy of mine. We were doing 24/7 hour security together after uh, 9/11, and him and I were, were like best friends. We we're like brothers. Right, you know, right. uh, he's in Long Island. We get together a couple times a year. Yeah. He's one of my good friends. So yeah. I I met some amazing people. So after the military, you got into college, and, and that's kind of where the trajectory of your life changes, right? And yeah. That, and that's where kind of we get into the meat and potatoes of, of what I would believe led you to where you're at now as a, as a speaker and as an author, yeah? Yeah, absolutely. Um, first of all, Sean, being stationed in New Orleans, Louisiana, it's a lot different than Griswold and Plainfield, Connecticut. Yeah. I got out of, I got out of the car when I first um, got into New Orleans. I was like, damn. I'm like Bourbon Street. I'm yeah. like, we used to like having fun over in Plainfield and Griswold and Jewett City. Yeah. But you magna, you you times that by a thousand, and you're in the city of New Orleans, Louisiana, and many people have gone to New Orleans. It is a fun ass city. Yeah, I've I never mean, been. It's damn. You need to take a weekend yeah. down there. Jazz Fest, Mardi Gras. There's something going on every single day of the week. And me being a Marine down there. I was living it up, having fun, partying, yeah. just living it up, being a young Marine, you right. know. And um, so I get out of the Marines. I drive back up here to Connecticut. I'm living in Ballantown, Connecticut. I'm going to Eastern Connecticut State University, mm-hmm. working as a bartender at the Yacht Club in, in Westerly. Mm-hmm. You know, my life is going great, doing great in college, and still, like, I, I love to go out and have fun, too. Mm-hmm. You know, I was a single guy in the Marines uh, or uh, in college, and um, just love to go out and have fun. Right. Yeah, my buddies and I, we yeah, we love to go out and have fun and let loose every now and then. Yeah, I mean, I you know obviously I can relate to it, you know, um, but there's a lot of 
when it comes to even sports or anything, there's a phrase, I'd rather be lucky than good. You know what I mean? Yeah. I've been out a million times probably and driven when I when I shouldn't have. Yeah. yeah. You know, and I've been lucky that, you know, when I was younger, you know, we used to drive to Providence and back all the time from, yeah. from, from, from Griswold just – you know, and, and definitely shouldn't have been driving or, you yeah. know, or whoever was driving shouldn't have been driving. Yeah. And uh, was lucky. It wasn't because we were so good we got home safe every time or that we didn't hurt anybody or, or even crash a car. Just yeah. because we were lucky. And unfortunately, that you didn't always have that same luck, huh? No. Sean, uh, I, I can get into it real quickly. So I was in college. You know my story. I'm just letting everyone else know. You know, I'm in college on top of the world just – Going out, having fun, working as a bartender, National Leadership Honor Society at Eastern, 3.4 GPA. I fast forward to my senior year. You know, this is 2005. Yeah. 2005, we didn't have Uber. We didn't have Lyft. Right, you know, right. um, I talk to my cousins now. They're a little bit younger than me. And and I'm like, make sure you guys never go out and party and drink and drive. They're like, you know what? We live in the Uber, the Uber, you know, right, right. time. And everyone has an option on their phone now. You know, in 2005, when I was in college, we didn't have that. No. So... My senior year comes, first week back. I'm living in Voluntown. My good friend Rich uh, Bronson and I would always see each other out. We'd see each other at the gym. We'd see each other right up at Eastern because he was going to Eastern too. Mm-hmm. And fi- he was always busy working. I was always busy working. And this Friday, I saw him at f- the gym over in Plainfield. And he's like, you know what? I- I'm going out with you tonight. You know, like I'm not working, this yeah. and that. So it was our first time going out. Yeah. And, uh, you know, I left the gym. Went home, showered, got ready, picked up Rich. Um, I met, met him at a birthday party right over in Voluntown, a couple friends of yours, I'm sure um, Jamie and Jeff, um, you know, uh, and we picked, we picked, I picked him up at the birthday party, he dropped his car off, yeah. and we went up to a bar on campus up at Huskies with a, a few of our other friends. Right, right. And um, Husky Blues? It was, no, it's just called Huskies. Oh, Husky, Husky Blues was another one. Huskies was like the spot across the street, I think, okay. from Ted's. Okay. And my friends and I, we just loved it. Like, I love music, man. I yeah. love dancing. Like, I just love music and dancing. And obviously, being single in college, I like to go out and meet people and have fun. Right, right. So, yeah, um, I was excited. It was Rich and I's first time out together. We had yeah. talked for, like, probably years. Right. And finally, our schedules matched up, yeah. you know. And uh, it's almost crazy, like, how things happened. And, uh, you know, um, it's it's just unbelievable, you know, um, yeah. how how things ha- happened, and uh, I don't know if you want me to get into it or. Yeah, I mean that's what the book is, right? Yeah. And so I, I, I mean, you know, I'm not trying to, to beat you up, but you know, I no, just, no, no, I thought yeah. that's kind of what we're. Yeah, I just um, so we were all out that night. Um, I was out partying, having a few beers at on campus at UConn, and uh, you know, I made the stupid choice, like like Sean said many a times in our, in our lives, that we've driven after going out when we shouldn't have and it was my turn to drive that night it was rich's first time out with us and i wanted to be responsible to get him home safe it was like my friend i was introducing rich to a new kind of group of friends you know he was he hadn't gone out with my regular group of friends so i was the one that kind of brought him into the group right right so i wanted to be the one that was like responsible to bring everyone home safe that night yeah so i picked up rich picked up my other buddy in canterbury picked up my other buddy at eastern connecticut state university Head up to the campus at Huskies, had a few drinks, dancing, having fun, bar closed at 2. Bam, I started heading home. Dropped mm-hmm. off my buddy at Eastern, dropped off my buddy in Canterbury, and Rich and I on our way home. Came down Gooseneck Hill Road in Canterbury, made a right on 169. I'm heading out there, and my car hits a patch of black ice. 
never saw it. You know, I was just out driving on a Friday night like any other night. Yeah. Heading out there in my car, hit a patch of black ice. I lost control of my car, spun off the road. I hit a tree. I got ejected um, nearly 20 feet from the vehicle. Suffered um, uh, traumatic injuries and life-threatening injuries myself. And I wake up from a coma and uh, find out my good friend Rich Bronson passed away. And Rich being a classmate of yours that yeah. you knew your whole life, um, you know, growing up. And uh, being friends and going out and just celebrating college, graduating soon, having fun. That decision that I made has impacted so many people's lives. Yeah. And what I would do to take back that decision. Oh, I'm sure, dude. You know what I mean? And it's, I don't want to say don't beat yourself up, but you know, it's, it could have just as easily been him driving or someone else. Dri- just, I know because I've been there, you know what yeah. I mean? And it's just, uh, you know, sometimes you're lucky and sometimes you're not. And, and especially this day and age, there's no, there's no reason to, to push your luck, you know, like, no. We didn't have any kind of public transportation growing up. No. And, you know, there wasn't, we got a cab anywhere. You know what yeah. I mean? It'd, it'd be $150 like, to take not, a cab. Right, it's not like New York City where now you can just be like, oh, cool, I'll go here, I'll see you in 10 minutes. You yeah. Know, you know, and it, it's, it's a wrap, you know? Mm-hmm. So, like, the people who come to my bar, man, you know, we, we offer a, a bus. We have a, a, a shuttle bus that it'll bring, pick you up, bring you home within five miles of the bar, um, you know, and outside all the Ubers, man. But, Every once in a while, you know, I hear about someone getting a DUI, leave them in the bar, and it's like, dude. Like, you have every option. Right. Don't do not do that to yourself, man. You know what I mean? Speaking of that, I'm driving for Uber now, and I've picked up a few people over at Sunset Ribs oh, yeah. uh, recently. So, yeah, um, to kind of catch everyone up, you know, I'm a, I'm a, pu- I'm a motivational speaker, yeah. about to be a published author, right. and I quit my full-time job seven months ago to put everything into being a speaker and publishing my book. So I drive for Uber on my free time when I don't have my amazing little daughter. Yeah, it's always a, a, especially I feel like in America, like I go to Ireland almost every year, yeah. and there, dude, like you get in the cab or the Uber, and, and they don't have a lift, what's it called? Halo, it's, it's called Halo, it's yeah. another app they got over there. And dude, but it's like so awesome, because they're just like, they'll tell you a million stories, and yeah. blah, 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 like, yeah, and, and you know, I'm like, man, if you take a taxi in America, like, Half the time they don't even speak English, and they do. They really care about what you have to say. Exactly. You know what I mean, but um, you know, with with Uber, you know, when you get like a, a regular dude driving you, it's like, do I just sit here like uh, you know driving yeah. Miss Daisy or like do yeah. you, like I don't know if I want to bother him. I don't know if he's bothering me. I, I don't yeah. know the uh, the I, tactics of it. I mean, my my worst Uber story like St. Patrick's Day parade a couple of years ago. Me and my girlfriend were both puking out the side of the window. We got that uh, that fee there. That, oh uh, man, probably hundred fifty dollars or whatever. Yeah, yeah, yeah. We didn't puke in the car, but it was on the outside of the car. Oh, dude, speaking of Uber, so I just saw a story on Google the other day. And I hope that you're not guilty of this. I saw. So you know how they have where they, with the the rates when the rates go up. The uh, what do they call that during like a peak time. Yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. So I read in all these different cities. Do you know what I'm talking about already? I, I, I where do, Uber do. drivers are getting together and they all turn off their phones at the same time so that there's no Ubers available and then they all power back up at the same time and everyone, all you guys get that. Fle- you do do it, you do motherfucker. I, no, do. dude, I haven't heard of that, man. Yeah. For one, I don't read too many articles, yeah, but yeah. hey, believe me, I should try that. That's yeah. a great idea. Yeah, I guess there's like forums or Facebook like for like, say like, 
Washington DC Uber drivers and yeah, all yeah. like yo at fucking 459 man yeah. we'll all turn our phones off so there's no Ubers and then yeah. turn them Bam. back on and everyone's got the I think there's an exact word for it the, uh, yeah it's a peak time or whatever yeah, yeah. It's, a, it's a busy peak time whatever a lot of Uber rides needed in the area right, right, I've seen right. that come up before you probably invented More. it you, you, I wish man you I wish sale, I was that smart you sales and motivational speaker man you no. probably came up with it man I live my life <laughs> I, I live I walk a fine line you know um so getting back, getting back to my accident, Sean, you know, yeah. uh, I was punished. You know, I broke the law. I was punished. I was charged with a felony. Yeah. And I spent four years of my life in prison. And never... Bef before you even get into that, if you don't mind, we jump in real quick. You took a gamble. They offered you... Five years. And what? And you turned it down. And what was the, what was the max that you could have gotten? I could have gotten ten and a half years in yeah, prison. Yeah, man. Like, I, I always wonder, like... If I was in that situation, what would I what I do? And I know I, I have friends that have been in there. I have a friend, dude, who who turned down nine months and got three and a half years. You know, yeah, like yeah. it. But that's a sh dude. Sh Sean, to be honest with you, um, what what was the pressure like in making that choice, bro? To be honest with you, it was like my family and I together with my attorney. You know, yeah. um, I moved on with my life. I graduated from college. I was living in Boston. With my girlfriend at the time, working on Newberry Street, I was a, I was an emotional wreck. Yeah, I couldn't even think about anything. I never mind what to do. You know, like my family and I, we were hope. I was praying that I could have the opportunity to tell Rich's parents how sorry I was. I was praying for that every. I still say the same prayer every single night. Yeah. I was praying praying for their healing and forgiveness, and never in a million years would. I just, it's hard to explain, man. Yeah. To be honest with you, Sean, um, I really, everything happened the way it needed to happen. Yeah. I needed to take responsibility for the, the decision that I made and, sh and, and be a man and take the punishment that was given to me, yeah. serve my time, and move on. Um, so I never even look at it like, oh, damn, you know, that was quite a gamble or this or that. Like, you know, I just, the only thing I wanted in life was to let Rich's family know and friends how sorry I was. That was all, you know. I took my punishment from the judge that day. I think it was on September 23rd, 2007. Mm -hmm. And I took my punishment from the judge that day, five and a half years. Yeah, it sounded, it sounded like it was an eternity, but you know what? All we have in life is one day at a time. Right. And that's all I did every single day in prison. I was one day at a time to have the life that I knew I would have. So you, you kind of talked about, you know, where you were in, in prisons and, and kind of some of the things that, that happened there. But how do you think your time in jail changed you as a person or did it? Oh, it completely did. Um, definitely for the better. I only think positively and it, and it made me appreciate everything in life. I mean, here I am, Sean. Yeah. You were able to wake up this morning. You can stop at Dunkin' Donuts, Starbucks, get a coffee if you want. Yeah. You can even stop at McDonald's and get an Egg McMuffin if you want on your way here or yeah. a sausage biscuit. I was in prison, man, waking yeah. up next to child pedophile rapists, murderers. Yeah. I was told when I could take a piss, when I could take a shit, yeah. what time to go to bed, what time to do this. Right. I was told what to do for four years of my life uh, every second. Now I get to jump in my car. If I want to go take a ride up to Boston tonight, yeah. I'm going to go take a ride up to Boston and watch the Red Sox if I want. Right. I can do whatever whatever it is that I want. How um, how was your adjustment getting back into a society? Because that, that wasn't really something you kind of touched on a whole lot. I, I know you talked a little bit about 
the the struggles of getting a job or, or overcoming uh, having to check that that felony box for a, a time and we'll get into how you don't have to now after yeah but just uh, the day-to-day what was the transition like back into you know society just i was grateful for my my family um i had a I had no license. I had to go back and get my license at the age of 31 years old. You know, yeah. my license expired while I was in prison. Yeah. Obviously, I wasn't. It wasn't suspended or anything like this. It just happened to expire when I was in prison. Right. So you know, if you're not able to go and renew your right, license, right. your license expires. You have to go. You and have to do like the test again, like a 16 year old. Dude, I was the most excited 31 year old going to DMV. People were like, "Holy shit, what is wrong with this dude?" I'm like, yeah. "You have no idea." Yeah. I got a hundred on the damn test and aced. I was like, "Damn." Yeah. I was excited. I was a 31 year old, like, guy yeah. starting his life back over. And yeah, it was an adjustment, but every everything that I did in my life has led me to where I am. You know, I mean, quality of life is is everything. You know, like yeah. I was working as a groundskeeper at Potapog Country Club over in Baltic, listening to, to like my iPod and music, and I'm making maybe ten bucks an hour, but I'm happy as shit. Right. You know, I'm free out and breathing fresh air. Right. I'm making shit for money. But I'm happy. Yeah. You know, I'm not going to bed next to child pedophile rapists and murderers. Right, you know, right. I get to go home and leave and do whatever the hell I want, you know. And then what I think is a really interesting part of the story, you know, like I just kind of alluded to, you no longer have to check that, that you're not a convicted felon because. Yeah, I of, got granted a complete pardon in 2016. Right. And, and you did get that forgiveness that you were looking for, right? Yeah. Rich's family, you know, his dad first came and saw me in prison. And um, was, how was the first, the first time you had to look at him? I'm a man and never shy away from anything. Obviously, I was I was nervous, but yeah. also excited. Yeah. I mean, he's given up his time to come see me in prison. Yeah. And luckily, his friend of his that he knew in his whole life um, was the deputy warden there. Yeah. So they ended up lining up, and we had a visit through glass. Obviously, yeah. Who knows what could happen? Yeah, yeah, you know. Yeah, yeah. So. But it started the healing process. You know, yeah. Rich's dad gave up his time to come see me in prison. And I expressed to him, I'm so, I said, Mr. Bronson, I am so sorry. And I would do anything to take it back. And he's like, you know what, Michael? It's how you're going to live your life from here on out. It's going to be the, our relationship with one another. Yeah. And uh, I will never disappoint them. And I've always lived the best of my ability. And, um, you know, I went and saw his mother when I got out of prison and I gave her a portrait that I had drawn and some flowers and I gave her a big hug and I was like, Mrs. Bronson, I am so sorry. And um, it just started the healing. That's heavy, man. That's really heavy. Um, How how often do you think of that night, dude? Does it, is it something you're able to not put behind, I don't mean that in a disrespectful way to Rich or his family, but you know, like you also can't harp on that every day because you're never gonna move forward, but I mean, I don't think of the negativity of it. I think about the impact that I'm making on people's lives. Like I spoke about it today. You know, I went to Mr. Z's to pick up a pizza with my daughter last week and three of the kids that work there were like, oh my God, we just heard you speak last week from the high school. And to hear personal messages from people reaching out to me or I bump into someone and I don't recognize them and like, oh my God, I remember you, you that person that came and spoke at my high school. I just had a message on LinkedIn yesterday from a girl that heard me speak years ago and she found me on LinkedIn and she's like, I will never forget your story. So what was the uh, trajectory that led to you becoming a public speaker? Like how, how did that pl- process play out? Sean, from the beginning, um, piecing my life back together, you know, I was, an, I was a prisoner 
going to local high schools during oh. prom time. Oh, even even while, when I was an inmate, okay. they would march me out to Ellis Tech, Putnam, Griswold, Plainfield, right, Turtle right. Because I told my counsel, I'm like, look, I want to help people make a better decision than I did from day one. Oh, that's awesome. Because you know, that's really a story of re- truly rehabilitation from within the, the system. You, you hear very little about that. You know, and I it, usually hear that, you know, that there is no, that it just makes criminals more criminal. You know, not that you were a criminal, but, you know, you were, it's not the same apples to apples. But, like, it's just cool that you got the opportunity yeah. to do what you're doing now while you were still in there. So, yeah, like, I did it about six or eight months after my accident. My first time, I was nervous. I went to the Plainfield Alternative High School. I still remember it to this day. Yeah. Went and shared my story with those kids. Went on my life, you know, went to prison and was a speaker multiple times. I think I, I just put all the speaking engagements that I did while I was in prison. I think it was 14 or 15 times I spoke in prison yeah. in my last year before I got out. And um, I got out of prison Started to get my feet, you know, feet under me, getting back on my feet and getting a real job, working sales. I got married, ended up having a beautiful daughter. And when I had those sales jobs, I was just missing something in my life. I was missing something, the passion. And just um, people would come up to me when I would go and speak out of my free will. I would go and just speak out of high school here or there or go to a military base here or there and just share my story. And people would come up to me afterwards and they're like, you know what, you have a gift. I've never seen anyone capture an audience like you. And I'm like, yeah, yeah, whatever. I got a real job. Right. I'm like, whatever. Like, this is what I was doing to give back, you know, to make a difference in people's lives. And, you know, I wasn't even getting paid. I was doing it voluntarily and right. going out and giving my time. So, yeah, I remember to where I am today, you know, the first time someone actually paid me to go and speak yeah and now here i am you know my daughter and i so i got a deal you're doing it for free yeah (laughs) we got to consultate you know like it sean you know what it's i always tell people it's never about money i always want to make a difference in people's lives i mean i was able to go to new mexico with my daughter and speak to thousands of soldiers out in new mexico and go trick-or-treating in new mexico i never would have had this opportunity Right. You know, so so at what point did you decide that, that you wanted to write a book that this was something that that a wider audience needed to, to hear or like how did how did that process come into play just knowing that you're a speaker and you have a, a passion and a purpose to get your story out to a larger audience mm-hmm. me I'm a one I'm one person I can only be in one per- place at one time right. you know drive in here driving there flying here flying there I can get my story to so many more people and show them that anything is possible no matter what you go through in your life. So that was the the motivation of, you know, sitting down and getting my thoughts on paper and getting it out to the world. So what's the so somebody wants to write a book, what are the what's the process? What's the first thing you did? Break down what chapters you want, you know, um just just like you're doing a project in 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 school. Yeah. But the, like the process of getting to being published, or the process of getting it into the hands of other people, like what what did you what do you have to do to, to do that? Network and get in touch with people that have experience with. Dude, networking you know, is the most important thing in the entire look world. Look at look at you and Net, I. You networking know? is the most dude. I I try to tell that to everybody. So when are we looking at the release on the book? Two weeks. It's going to the publishing company, the tonight or tomorrow, and yeah. I was told seven to ten business days and. 
Sean, I, I shared the cover um, yeah. with you, and it, it is it's badass. It's awesome. Yeah, check it out right now. So I was going to have it up, or yeah. I was going to look like an idiot. <laughs> but, yeah, no, I'll get that over to you, Suave, man. It's a, it's a dope cover. Um, I'll put it up on, on, online as well. Um, but, uh, you know, check for it. And what what do you know? What platform is going to be available on? Like, is it going to be, like, a, a Kindle thing? Or is it going to be a physical? It, I, I'm old school. It's going to be old um, – Hard, 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 physical, physical, tangible, but yeah. it is also going to be released on, you know, um, uh, Kindle and or all like those other Google things. Google Play and like yeah. those kind of things. Yep. Um, you can be, you can find me. It's going to be, it's going to be like on um, Amazon. It's going to be on Barnes right, and Nobles. Right. But anyone that wants to find the the book, it's going to be connected to all my social media. Right. And Sean will be able to put that up on um, Mike Panis. Yeah. M I K E. P A N U S, um, yeah, and I'll share all those links on on the page on uh, the Shamrock Show uh, yeah. Facebook page. But Mike Pan is changing lives on on inspire inspire, inspire lives. lives. I'm sorry, inspire yeah, no, lives it's all good. Um, um, and you know you you've got an Instagram, but you don't really use that. Check that out. Um, I do. Someone someone hacked my Instagram, so I have two oh, of them. Yeah. Oh. So I have Mike Pan inspiring lives. One with like. 350 posts and then one with like zero posts. Oh yeah, so I that's think, that's the one I found when yeah. I was looking to check it out. Okay, yeah, okay. you'll have to. See, yeah, I'll, 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 find the, I'll find I'll find the the genuine article. Yeah, the, the, the official tissue. hacked one, but uh, yeah. So I'm just excited and I cannot wait to go out and share you know my story with the world because it's about redemption yeah. and it's about perseverance and you know being humble and being grateful and I am all those things and no matter what it is you know um. I just want to be the best person I can today and just be a little bit better tomorrow. That's all. Well, yeah, man. I, I hope that people, especially like, you know, I, I know a lot of my, my friends in their 20s that come to my club, you know, check out this show, man. I hope that they, they really take it to heart, man, because it can happen to anybody, you know, absolutely. And it, it's, you know, the, the, I think the marketing behind it is terrible. The buzz driving is drunk driving, but the point of it is true. It's like when you've had one or two and you think you, when you know you're fucked up, then you don't drive. You know yeah. what I mean? But it's yeah. like when you think you're good, dude, and you're not. That's the time that you, it's 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 most uh, you know in, endangering, man. So I, I hope people take something from this, man, and really grab the book. I had a great time. I, I'll really read through the whole thing. I just got it on Sunday, so you know I went through the chapters that you know I knew I wanted to touch base on, and yeah. I read those. But I'm looking forward to really having that physical copy. You know, I'll, I'll be one of the first people to buy that, man. And, yeah. uh, you know, check Mike out online and, and grab his book. And uh, whenever it does officially come out, man, you look for the post on my page and I'll be sharing the, the hell out of that, too. You know, normally the Shamrock Show, we have a toast of whiskey at this point. But we're going to drive sober home today. Sean, man, thanks. Cheers. It was so awesome to have you. Yeah, man, I appreciate you taking an hour of your day to come hang with me. Buddy. You bet. Let's do a shot of some water. Yeah, Ready? let's do it. Cheers. Everyone, man, thank Cheers. you so much. Cheers. Cherish every second of your life, man. Thank you.